Last week, we really laid a foundation. We looked at some of the things Paul said, some of the confusing things where, you know, he seems to say it's good and bad kind of at the same time. We looked at that, and, and what we did last week is we showed that the law is good, okay? The law is good to preach. The law is good to teach. The law is good to obey. The law is good to study. It's still good, even though many preachers and teachers today are saying that Christians, uh, it, that the law has been canceled for Christians and it's death for Christians to try to obey it and to study it, okay? So we looked, it's good. And next week, we're going to look at some of the specific laws because even though we know that the law is good, certainly there are laws within the law that we don't obey anymore. And, and certainly the obvious one is the sacrifices. We don't sacrifice animals anymore after we sin. Thank God Jesus paid that price. So clearly within the law, even though the law is good, and even though the Bible clearly tells we need to obey the law, we know that there are some laws within the law that, that are, are done for now. There are others that need to be adapted. And then there are others that are just eternal and unchanging. And I'm going to show you next week, and I'm going to make it easy for you. You're going to understand, because people don't know, they, they read their Old Testament, they don't know, okay, which is for me, which is not for me. I'm going to make it easy for you next week. I'm going to show you which are which, and of course, and then, and then we'll bring up things like tattoos and various laws like that, all right? And so I will do that. And I was going to do that already this week, um, but there's one more thing we have to knock out of the way first, and it's a really important point. So last week we looked at the law is good, but before we can actually look at the content of the laws themselves, and before we can actually look at what, does the law, what do the laws say, we first have to understand what is the tone and heart and spirit of the law, okay? And, uh, and you say, well, why is that? Why can't we just go straight to what does the law say? Well, here's the problem. Uh, you can know what someone has said. You can know the words of something, but if you don't know the tone or the heart behind those words, you're going to completely misunderstand it. Isn't that true? I mean, I'm sure most of you have had an experience at least once in your life where you have either had a misunderstanding over email or texting, yeah? Because you sent them the words. They got all the words you said. They had them exactly accurate, but you sent them with a certain attitude. You sent them, maybe, maybe it was a joke, or maybe it was in love, but they took it as coming with a tone of anger or sarcasm, and they completely misunderstood what you said, right? It's happened to me many times too. And uh, experts actually tell us, and I looked uh, some of this up uh, this weekend, and experts, I mean, they vary. There's many different estimations of how important tone is to communication. But as some experts say it's more than 50%, some say it's slightly less. But somewhere around half of what we communicate to each other, we actually communicate through tone and body language, not the actual content of our words. So tone is huge. Tone is really huge. I mean, let me give you a couple examples. Uh, for example, let's imagine that you, you got a transcript of, of two people's conversation. They were talking about a movie they had just watched. And so you get a transcript. You have all their words. You have all the content of the whole conversation, okay? 100% of the words. And you would think, well, we know what they said. Actually, you still don't know what they said. For example, take the line, that movie was ridiculous, okay? You read those words. You actually have no idea, unless you hear the tone behind the words, you have no idea what that phrase means. For example, let me share. Uh, a couple years ago, or maybe it was a year ago, I forget when, some time ago, my wife and I watched a, a movie a true story, a courageous story. It was about a woman by the name of Irina Sendler. I, I think she was Polish. And uh, anyway, she saved hundreds of Jewish people during World War II. It was an incredible story, true story, incredible woman, and an amazing story in the way it was all put together. And I remember saying to LaDawn at, at one point, either during the movie or, or after, I said, this, this story is, is ridiculous. This woman is amazing. The lengths she went to, she was tortured. She never gave up names. And, and the things she did to hide all these Jews, I said, it's just, it's crazy. It's so amazing. It's, it's awesome. And, and so 
so there you have it. You know, that movie was ridiculous. Could mean this is, this is just, you know, this is like a life-changing story. This is an awesome story. Okay, or it could mean something very different, right? I remember this would be going back maybe uh, six or seven years now. Um, but there was a mo- another movie that we watched, and I wasted two hours of my life that I'll never get back. And the only reason I watched it, I'm not going to mention what the name of the movie was, but it was about an, an, a, an adult man who was dressed up as an elf at Christmas time. But I won't tell you what the movie is. Um, okay? I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I, and I'm telling you, nine out of ten of you like it. I know I've been asking lots of people, and the only reason we watched it is because tons of people said, it's so funny, it's so good, it's all this stuff. So finally we're like, okay, maybe we'll watch it. And we watch it, and we're like not even halfway through the movie. I looked at it on, and I said, this is the most ridiculous movie ever. I wish someone would come on screen and shoot that character right now, and the credits would roll. It's a horrible movie. Okay? But you don't know, right? I mean, same words. That movie was ridiculous, and you have no idea what it means. You could get total wrong meaning if you don't have the tone, right? I think of the words, uh, one more example I'll share. I think of the words, get over here, okay? Get over here. Uh, those words can mean a lot of different things, right? And I, I think of like on our days off, on a Monday morning, uh, that's, our, that's my day off. We have a family day, and Don and I will usually start that day, you know, kind of earlier in the morning, and we'll spend time praying together and doing devotions together and praying for the kids, and we'll be singing at the, at the, at the kitchen table, and then what will happen is around 8 o'clock, our kids will come upstairs, Joy and Charlie. And uh, one of the things, I'll, I'll say something to, to them like, you know, get over here. And what I mean is I want to give them a big hug. Get over here, I'm going to give you a hug. But that phrase can also mean something very different, right, in a different tone. And I know if the kids are sassing mom or whining or something, and they get get over here right now, it's also, that's a lot different, right? <laughs> it's a lot different. But you can't tell from the words. You can't tell from the content of the words what it means. You have to have the tone. And you are the same is true of the law. You say, what does this have to do with the law? Everything. Because as you read the law, all we have here in the law is the words. We just have the words. And that's, and, and the problem with that, now the Bible does show, and I'm going to show you a number of passages today, the Bible always explains the Bible, and the Bible tells us what the tone of the Old Testament law is. It does tell us. But it's not immediately obvious. And there's different places in the Bible where it tells us what the tone is. But it's not immediately obvious. And so as you're reading the Old Testament law, you will automatically, your brain will automatically fill in a tone. You won't just read these words neutral because all words come with a tone. And so you will read the Old Testament law and in the absence of knowing what that tone is, you will just fill in a tone. And here's the problem. The, the, in the Western church today, we've got many preachers and teaching teachers that are teaching a tone, the, what they say the tone of the Old Testament law is, and they're teaching it wrong. And many Christians are reading the Old Testament law with this idea. They think the Old Testament law is harsh, and it's legalistic, and it's rules, and it's do's and don'ts. And so when you go into that, if you think in the back of your head, you open up the Old Testament law, and you read it as that, you're going to come out feeling condemned. And so I hear people say, you know, Chris, I went to a church where they talked about the do's and don'ts, and it was just death, and now I'm just on the grace, I'm on the grace train. To which I say, that's sad, because someone taught you the law wrong. So if you have the tone wrong, you're going to totally miss the whole point of the law. You're going to misunderstand it, because tone is a huge chunk of communication. And so that's all we're going to talk about today is tone. And before we even get into the actual message, we're going to pray in just a moment. But I, I just want to show you a couple passages again from King David. Because, again, we're being fed a lie over and over and over again. The law is harsh. The law is do's and don'ts. The law is rules. The law is a burden. The law is condemning. All these sorts of things. And, and that's not what it is. But when we read King David, we find out what the real tone is. 
And I showed you one passage from King David last week from Psalm 19, 1-7, where David talked about the law, it just revives my soul. When I meditate on the law, it revives my soul. Well, throughout this series, I want to keep reading to you some of the Psalms and what David got out of the law. And it's totally the opposite the way most of us feel about the law. So let me read you two of those, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into this message. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1-3, to the first Psalm, the first words of any of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. David says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Delight. Lots of people, when they read the Old Testament law, they think it's all about I have to, and they think the New Testament gospel is all about I want to. That is false. That is false. A spirit-filled person encounters I want to in the law of God. A spirit-filled person looks in the law, he doesn't say I have to. He looks in the laws and he reads God's good laws and he says, I delight in this. I want to do this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Spirit-filled man prospers. He is revived. It's like drinking water. It's like eating good food when he's in the law. Let me show you Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the whole chapter is about this. But again, this is tone. We're seeing tone here. This is when the Bible talks about the law, the Bible talks about the law in a very positive light, very unlike our culture today. Psalm 119, here's a bunch of excerpts, okay? I can't read you the whole chapter. It's the longest chapter in the whole Bible, okay? But it's all about this. You read it this week, okay? Psalm 119, David says this, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I want you to notice something there just for a second. When we get sick, when we have a problem, when we have an affliction in life, I'll tell you what we do. We look for a power verse. Isn't that true? Give me a healing verse in the New Testament. Give me a power promise in the New Testament. By the way, I'm not making fun of it. It's better to go to the Word than not go to the Word at all. But when we have problems, we want a power verse right away. When David had serious problems and afflictions, he went to the law and said, Lord, give me some food I can obey. See, David understood something about God. God's blessing comes on the obedient. We would rather just bypass the obedience and just get the blessing. David said, I know where where blessing is. It's in the person who's obeying. And so when David was in affliction, he said, oh, that's, I go to, he, David wasn't looking for the promised scriptures. He went to Genesis or Deuteronomy, and he said, Lord, just give me your law. Give me your law. Your law is good. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Oh, how I love your law. Okay? You getting the point yet here? David really likes God's laws. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And you know, as we read these passages again, it's totally different. The feeling and the attitude about the Old Testament law in these passages is totally different than what we're hearing and reading in our culture today. And my question to you before we pray is this. If there's a disagreement between what you're hearing and reading and what's in Scripture Who's right? Who's right? Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Lord Jesus, I love your laws. I want to obey your laws. And as a church, Father, here at Southland, Lord, we want to obey your laws. We want to love your law. 
Lord, I just pray that through this series, your Holy Spirit would open up our eyes and that we would, like David, Lord, as we get filled with your Spirit, we would realize that in your law, we find life and obedience in relying on you as you help us to obey your laws, Father. It's, there is life in that kind of a righteous life. And I pray that you would bring us to a place as a church, Jesus, where we love your laws, where we study your laws, where we understand your laws, and where we depend on you for help in obeying them. In your name we pray, amen. Understanding the law's tone. Well, I, I had a bunch of tones that I would like to talk about today, and then I, had, I narrowed it down to three, and then I didn't have time for that, so we're just going to look at two, okay? But there's two tones I want to talk about today. Some of the most commonly misunderstood uh, blatantly, and some in, in some cases it's taught blatantly opposite to this and false, but I want to look at two of the most under, misunderstood tones of the law. And the first thing you need to know is this, that the heart of the law is love, not rules. Okay? Some of the things I'm going to talk to you about today, I'm going to go so against. I mean, many of us have just been raised believing something, and we believe these things about the law for so long, it's, it's hard for us. It must be true. We thought them to be true for so long, right? And, and so I want to overturn a lot of that where it's not actually biblical. And so we have this idea that the Old Testament law was rules, it was do's and don'ts, and then thankfully God had a better way, and in the New Testament we get grace, and it's not about rules, and it's not about do's and don'ts. And so we have this, and, and so of course, and then of course once you do that, and once you have this idea, once you set up this straw man, and you, and you, and you equate the law with rules, with do's and don'ts, with legalism, well of course legalism, do's and don'ts, and all that stuff doesn't go together with grace and forgiveness, so then we can just cancel out the law. And what I want to show you today is that the law was never about rules. And so once you realize that that's a straw man, that the law was never supposed to be all about rules and do's and don'ts, and that the law is actually just as much about love as the New Testament, then you're going to realize what I've been talking about in this series and in that paper that's online that you can read. It's on the front page there. But you'll realize that it's not that easy to get rid of the law. And so the first thing you need to know is that as you're reading the law... As you're reading this thing, it was not God's intention. It's not like God suddenly changed his mind and said, well, you know what, i got to try something new. I, I, I really like the do's and don'ts thing, but it didn't work, so now we're going to try the love thing. No. God is a loving God, and all he's ever wanted from people is not do's and don'ts. He's always wanted us to love him and to love each other. That's what he's always wanted. It's what he wanted in the Old Testament law. It's what he wants in the New Testament. And so let's let, I'm going to show you many, many scriptures. Well, let me just let, let's look at two right here off the, off the bat here from the Old Testament. Let's let the Old Testament speak for itself, not just about rules. What does it say here? He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Okay, now remember, this is in the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say about itself? What does the Lord require of us? A bunch of do's and don'ts? A bunch of legalism? No, this is already in the law. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, that's what God requires of us. And that's what God required of the Old Testament Israelites. It was never about legalism and rules. That is not the tone of the law. Hosea 6, verse 6, For I, it says God speaking, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And of course, the first objection as we look at these passages, the first objection that might come to your mind is, well, if all God wanted us to do was love one another, why didn't he just say so? Okay? Why didn't he just say, love one another? The Old Testament, we could have shrunk it from this to this. And just say, love one another, and we don't need the 613 different commands, right? Isn't that the question? 
Because, I mean, if it's just love one another, we only needed one rule, and we didn't need the 613 do's and don'ts. And let me tell you something. God does everything for a reason. There's no mistakes. He's not random. He's not arbitrary. I want you to get it out of your mind that he was ever the type of God. He's, ne- he's unchanging. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He was never, it was never his intention. When he wrote the law, he was sitting back and he's going, I'm not going to help you with that. I'm going to put this burden on you. Here's a, here's, here, what, what's a list of the most rules I can think of? Just arbitrary rules and here Israelites now do them and then sit back and look at them like that. No. He's a good God and his character is good and everything he does is loving. So each one of those 613 commands came out of him being loving. And let me tell you about something about those commands. Each one of those commands, because God is loving and God is good, each one of the 613 commands gives us another practical aspect of what love looks like. That's what they do. See, here's what God knew. Again, remember this, that God knows what he's doing. He doesn't do anything wrong, doesn't make any mistakes. If it would have been the best thing to make us loving, to just give us one law, he would have only given us one law. But here's the thing. If he would have only given us one law and said love one another and then not given us the specific commands of what that looks like, we would have been able to twist love into whatever we want it to look like. Isn't that true? Hollywood tells us love is sex. If, the old de- if all God had given us was love one another, we could go with the Hollywood definition then. Our culture tells us that love is a fuzzy feeling. When you feel love, you fall in love with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or, or someone who's not your spouse or whatever, that's love. As long as you feel it and there's, there's sparks and all this sort of stuff, that's love. That's what our culture thinks. It's a feeling. Well, if God had just told us love one another and didn't give us any other commands, then we could just go along with that de- definition. We'd have no idea. Is our homosexual relationships, is that love? See, if all you have is love one another, you actually have nothing because we can make it into our own image. We need specifics. And so God gave us 613 commands, and each one of those commands shows us something specific about what love looks like in everyday life, interactions with people, interactions with God. And we need those specifics. We need to know, last week we talked about Leviticus 19.32, that what it means to love is not just a feeling, it also means respecting the age. We need Deuteronomy 22.1-4, where we find out that real love is helping someone who's in need of assistance. We need all of those commands. We need do not murder. We need do not commit adultery. Real love is do not covet. It's not a fuzzy feeling. There are actual things. If you do this, this is love. And don't do this, because that's not love. And the 613 commandments give us the specifics of what real love looks like in real life. Now again, I know that I'm going so against the grain of what some of you have always believed all your life. You've never been taught that the Old Testament law is actually all about love. You've always been taught it's just about rules. And it's hard for me to maybe overturn that in just just a few minutes. And so I want to show you a whole bunch of scriptures from the New Testament that prove what I'm saying to you, all right? Every commandment in the Old Testament is put there for a reason to help you become more loving. Galatians 5 verse 14, Paul said this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law. The whole entire law, is. these are building blocks to help us see what does love look like. Romans 13, 8 to 10, Paul says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other, 
For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. In other words, if God wrote a paper, okay, well, and I guess he did kind of with the Bible, but let's just say he wrote a, a thinner paper, and he called it my essay on love, the inside, once you open up the cover, you would have the 613 commandments, and that would be his essay on what it means to love. That's all those commandments are. Jesus, Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. Jesus says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all, all of the law and the prophets. Everything you read in the Old Testament law, it's not about legalism, it's about love. Every statement, every command, every chapter in this, the, in this, the book of the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the heartbeat is love. Two things. How do I love God? How do I love people? See, if all God had given us was love God and love people, we could do that however we want. We could make idols and worship them and say, this is loving God. That's what the Israelites tried. And God says, whoa, 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 that's not loving me. And so he shows us in his goodness, he shows us what it means to love him, what it means to put him first, what it means to put other people first. And we can't just twist it because he's given us the specifics of what it actually looks like. It's really important. Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Every one of those commandments like a building block you put them all together you fit them together you have a solid foundation on which you can stand to live a loving life to live a loving life and this brings me up to one of the most common objections to the old testament law that's out there today i hear it often uh, i hear it preached i hear it personally people to me i remember a year and a half ago uh, uh someone emailed me not from this church but uh uh pastor ray had preached a message and, uh, and about one of the Old Testament commands. And this person then emailed me. And, and by the way, they did it in a, good, in a good way. This person was not bad in the way they did it. But anyway, they emailed me this email and, uh, about this message. And they said, uh, you know, you can't preach on these Old Testament commandments because these Old Cap uh, Testament commandments have all been swept away by the law of love. And I've heard that many ways, in many different ways. People say, and again, it's one of these, these things that's just kind of out there in the body of Christ. The Old Testament law has been, it's been canceled. We don't need it anymore. It's obsolete. It's gone because now we have in the New Testament the law of love. And here's what I say to that. The Bible says that the Old Testament law is the law of love. So when someone says to you, the New Testament law of love has canceled out the Old Testament law, what they're really saying is actually gibberish. It's nonsense. What they're saying is the law of love has canceled out the law of love. That's all they're saying. Because the Bible says the law of love is the Old Testament law. When you read the Old Testament law, you should not be reading it as, look at all these do's and don'ts I have to do. You should be reading it as a how-to manual. This is how we love God and people. It is the law of love. Now, of course, the next objection that someone makes is they say, okay, okay. So the Old Testament law was about love, but we don't need that anymore because Jesus' you know, general command here to love one another cancels out the specific commands of how to love. And right away I go, what? 
How does it make sense that the general law of love cancels out the specific law of love? Let me share with you an illustration. Okay? Let's imagine that the Minister of Transportation for, for Canada, okay? Let's imagine that he sends out flyers to all of us. Everybody who's a Canadian says, you've got to watch your TVs on a given night, and I'm going to make a real important announcement that all Canadians need to know about the driving laws in this country. And so, you know, all 30-some million of us Canadians, we tune in on a certain night, and there's the Minister of Transportation. He gets up on TV and he says, uh, we are going to radically simplify all of the driving laws in Canada. Because it's too complicated right now. We've got too many rules, and it's too hard to enforce, and police, and tickets, and there's, there's speeding, and, and, and there's, you know, red lights, and there's, you know, driver's licenses, and it's just, it's cumbersome. And so we're going to make things simple. We're going we're gonna to get rid of all the specific rules that we have right now in Canada. As of tonight, there's only going to be one rule in all of Canada for driving. And the rule is, drive safely. Okay? <laughs> Think about this. Okay? So all the other rules are gone because all we need is one rule, right? That's all we need. One law, drive safely. So, you know, all the laws about not running a, a red light, a stoplight... That, okay, that's gone. That's a specific rule. We don't need that anymore. Just remember to drive safely. All the rules about, you know, drinking and driving, that you can't drink and drive. Well, you know, we, we'll just forget about that. Drink as much as you want, but just be safe. <laughs> you know, we used to have laws, all these cumbersome laws that a person can't start driving or get their driver's license until after they're 16. Well, you know, that's gone. And so whether you're 7 or 8 or 150, everybody can drive. Just drive safely. Now let me ask you something. Would any of you feel any safer? No, you would feel radically more unsafe. Because, why is that? Because the general law to drive safely doesn't cancel out all the laws, the specific laws that show you and define for you what that is. And if you try to cancel out all the specific laws and put in one general law in instead, what you do get is everybody will become a law unto themselves. Because they will figure out what driving safely means for them, and it'll be different than everybody else. And so you'll have a guy careening through town at 100 miles per hour, and the cop, police pull him over and say, hey, you're breaking the law to drive safely. And he'll say, no, no, I have fast reflexes. I'm safe at 100 miles per hour in town. <laughs> well, I guess I got left you off the hook because there's no speeding laws anymore, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. The general law to love one another most certainly does not cancel out the specific laws of what that means does not cancel out do not murder does not cancel out you know respect your elders as we looked at last week does not cancel out you know don't trip the blind and don't curse the deaf as we'll look at in just a little bit it doesn't do that the specific laws you need both the tone of both you can't say new testament is about love old testament is about legalism we get rid of it no they're both about law love and that's why they both go together you need them both and you get, the, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, thanks be to Jesus dying on the cross, to help you live out this law of love, the specifics that you get in the Old Testament. I want to show you another example from the Old Testament of a law. Throughout this series, I'm bringing up, I'm preaching on, in every message, I'm bringing out certain specific laws from the Old Testament that I want you to see and read, because many of us don't know that these things are in there. We have this idea that it's legalistic and harsh and weird and bizarre and not applicable and as I showed you already last week, we looked at a couple of great laws about respect and about helping people who are in need of assistance. And I want to show you an example right here of, of how the Old Testament law looks and what are the kind of laws that are in there. And I'm going to show you that it's all about love. Leviticus 19, 13 to 14. So I'm going again into Leviticus. This is law stuff. 
doesn't get any more law than Leviticus. Let me show you how unlegalistic and wonderful these laws are, all right? The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. I'll just stop there before I even get to the part about the deaf and the blind. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. In other words, I mean, I wonder how many of you knew this was in the law. We don't read. This is important stuff to God. God says, if you hire someone to do work for you, you pay them promptly. If you're a boss and, and you just are hiring an hourly wage person, you pay them promptly. Or if you're a person, you hire someone out, maybe you contract someone else to do your yard work. Or maybe, maybe you're a contractor and you've got sub-trades under, underneath you. Or maybe you're uh, you know, a big-time business person and you've got, you're in deals with different businesses. Whatever it is, when you hire someone to do work for you, you don't make them wait a week or a month or a year to pay them. You don't even make them wait a day. When the time comes to pay your bill, you pay it on time or you pay it ahead of time. You don't make people wait. See, in this law, this is what it means to love people. See, if we didn't have laws like this written down, we would fool ourselves into thinking we were loving. We would go home at night, and we would think, you know, I'm romantic to my wife. I like my kids. We kind of have this perfect family life. And then you go to work the next day, and you string people along and try and get away with not paying. And you make them chase you for you to pay, have to pay their bills. And God says, you might think you're loving because you go to church on the weekend and you have a nice family night life in the evening, but if you're doing that kind of stuff and not paying people on time during the day, you're not loving or godly in God's eyes. Because God looks at these people and he sees them when they're stressed at night because you're not paying up and they've incurred bills on your behalf to buy the things that they needed to do and they've got bills to pay and mortgages to pay and kids to feed just like you do. And when you string them along like that and you don't pay them promptly or you don't pay them ahead of time, if they are stressed in their beds at night because of you, God will hold you accountable. Because that's not love. Now let me ask you something else here. And I've been saying this throughout the series. I'm going to keep saying it. Is that law death? Look at these priests saying, the law is death. Is that law death? Is it just, oh, it's what a burden. How condemning that is that God wants me to pay people on time and take care of the little guy. Oh, it's just so hard. This is a good law. God looks out for the little guy. If you have a problem with this law, it's not because the law is condemning, it's because you have a heart problem. These are wonderful, good, just laws that make everything better. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You pay people on time, you pay them ahead of time, you pay them in full, and you make it good for them. You take care of them. There's more to this law, and then he goes on some more. It says, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. He says, you might think that you can curse or make fun of a, of a deaf person behind their back because they can't hear you. God says, I hear for them. You might think you can trip up a blind person or do something in front of them or, or whatever it is or disrespect them or because they're handicapped and they can't see or they don't understand. And God says, I see for them. Fear me. If you don't fear them, fear me. And God says in his law, he writes down into his law because again, we'll get deceived. We'll think, I'm a loving person, I'm a nice person. You know, 99% of the people in this world think they're a basically decent person. God says, if all I said was love one another, you would just deceive yourself. It's when you look at these things written down and you see, what does love actually look like? Love in God's eyes is paying special respect and giving special honor to people who have handicaps. 
Now, I know one of the objections that comes up, you, re you read that, and you go, well, Chris, that's so obvious. I don't need the Old Testament law to tell me that. All I need is Jesus telling me to love one another, and I'll do it. Well, first of all, if that was true, God wouldn't have put it in the Old Testament. He knows what he's doing. But second of all, it's not true. Let me tell you a story of why we need these things. We need these laws written down in the specifics. There's a reason God put them down. We go back to Nazi Germany in the 1930s and 40s. And of course, as, as you all know, the Nazis uh, killed 6 million Jews in, in the Holocaust, one of the, one of the most evil, wicked things ever done on the planet. But one of the lesser known things that some people don't know is in addition to killing 6 million uh, Jews in the Holocaust, the Germans actually killed a quarter of a million of their own people, people who were mentally handicapped, Germans who were mentally handicapped or physically handicapped in some way. Okay? They have their own people, quarter of a million Germans who had some kind of a handicap. Now here's the thing I want to say. You say, well, what does this have to do with the law? I'm going to get there in just a moment. But I want you to think about something for a moment. Those doctors and nurses and orderlies who went and killed these people, they called it euthanizing. That's a much nicer word. But it's murder. They didn't think to themselves when they got up in the morning, I'm going to kill and murder a couple dozen handicapped people today. They didn't think like that. That's not how evil works. 99% of the evil that is done in this world is not done by people who are, who are blatantly saying to themselves, what I'm doing is evil. That's not how we human beings work. When we human beings want to do something evil, this is what we do. We first convince ourselves it's not evil. Isn't that true? We first have to come up with an excuse of some kind as to why this isn't evil. And once we've done that, then we can go and with a clean conscience go and commit evil. And so these doctors and nurses and orderlies that carried out tens and tens of thousands of killings and murders, they did not think of themselves as murdering these handicapped people. This is what they thought. They came up with a whole list of excuses, all of which, by the way, were based on Charles Darwin's theory of evolution, which, again, if I might digress for just a second here, is why I hate the theory of evolution. But anyway, one of the, one of the excuses they used, and they had many, but here's one of them. Let me give you an example. During World War II, there was food shortages and stuff in Germany, as in many countries around the world, obviously, as they were all fighting. And so one of the things they said is, well, if we, if we uh, euthanize, they don't, didn't call it killing, if we euthanize some of these handicapped people, it will, it, will, it, will make, it will mean there'll be more resources and more food and more money to take care of some of these healthy kids and families so that hopefully they can survive the war. So they turned this from something of, this is evil and we're killing helpless people, they turned it into, this is for the greater good and we're actually saving lives. Now you want to know the most disgusting part about this whole thing? The Protestant churches in Germany almost overwhelmingly supported this. There was almost no outcry from the Protestant churches in Germany. They went along with this. They thought, this is fine. You say, how can Christians go along with murder? I'll tell you how. When you get rid of the specifics and you reduce everything down to one kind of general fuzzy law, love one another, you can turn that law into whatever you want. And so you can even convince yourself as a Christian that loving one another is we're actually saving lives when in reality what you're doing is wicked and taking advantage of the helpless and God hates it. And so we, don't, we need to tell the world about Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. And there's a second thing we need to tell the world about and that is Jesus' laws. The world needs these laws. Because a society that follows Jesus' laws is a society in which the weak and the helpless and the oppressed are protected. And so we need to know what God says. What does real love look like? Real love does not look like saving the healthy at the expense of the weak. That's not love. 
because we need them all. So anyway, the tone, the heartbeat, as you're reading through the Old Testament law for the rest of your life, I want you to read it knowing that God loves you, and he wants you to love him, and he wants you to love each other. He wants us to love each other. That's the tone. Not legalism, not do's and don'ts. That's why David could read the law and say, oh, I rejoice in it. It's wonderful. It's good. Don't you want to be a loving person? This is where you go to get the advice. Number two. Tone number two that I want to tackle today is this. Another real big one that people oppose about the law and they misunderstand is they don't understand that the law is supposed to be obeyed by faith and not self-effort. The law is supposed to be obeyed by faith, not self-effort. And again, this is one of the most common attacks as to why Christians are saying today that the Old Testament law has been canceled. Because they set up the law like this. They say, I went to a legalistic church and it was do's and don'ts and it was harsh and I just burned out and now I'm on grace. And so they equate, they, put, they make a little equation, they say the law equals self-effort. Well, of course, self-effort kills us. We know the New Testament is about relying on Jesus, therefore the law is gone. To which I say, I cancel out the equal signs there. The law was never supposed to be about self-effort. Nowhere, anywhere in the law will you find in this book that you are supposed to obey these laws by self-effort without depending on God. So the fact that at one point earlier in your Christian life, you were at a legalistic church that was killing you because of all the do's and don'ts. I get legalism is death. The Bible says it is. Legalism is death, not the law. Legalism is a misuse of the law. And so the fact that you were, that you were burdened by do's and don'ts instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and love is not the law's fault. You got false teaching. It was, the law was falsely represented to you by someone else. But that's not the law's problem. That's that legalistic church's problem. That's your misunderstanding's problem. It's not the law's problem. The law doesn't tell people to work it up. Right from the very beginning, when God gave Moses and the Israelites the law, he did not give them the law, here you go, now do it. And watch them like this. When God gave the Israelites the Old Testament law, right from the very beginning, he intended them to do this. They open up the law, they look in it, they say, oh, these are good laws. And then in relationship with God, God, help me to do this. That's how it was always intended to be, by faith. Of course, I'm going to have to prove that to you because that, this one has been ingrained in our heads. So let me prove it to you. Romans chapter 9, 30 to 32. This is the end of chapter 9. Paul is summing up a whole bunch of arguments he's been tying together from chapter 5 to chapter 9. And he, this is how he sums it up. He says this. What shall we say then? Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, but did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Right there. This passage just cuts out the knees from under all the, all the doctrine where they're saying that the law has been canceled by the New Testament. No, it hasn't. Just like the New Testament, the law was supposed to be pursued by faith, not works. The Pharisees twisted it and turned it into legalistic death. And, and so, yeah, see, the law is a skeleton for us to hang a loving life on. You put a heart in there and it comes to life. The Pharisees took the heart out. They totally ignored the fact that the laws were supposed to be about love. And they just turned it into self-righteousness. I don't need a relationship with you, God. I don't need you, Jesus. I'm just going to be righteous on my own doing these do's and don'ts. And God says, yuck. I say yuck. But the fact that the skeleton without the heart is death doesn't mean you don't need the skeleton with the heart, right? And we talked about that last week. Just because the Pharisees took the heart out doesn't mean that we now get rid of the skeleton. No, we take the heart, we put it in there. Together they go awesome. 
And Paul says right from the beginning, the Israelites were supposed to pursue the law by faith. They were supposed to look it up. Faith means depending on God and needing His help. So they were supposed to look into the law and say, oh, this is what good looks like. This is what love looks like. Help me, Yahweh, and walk with Yahweh. Have a relationship with Yahweh. And as you study this, Yahweh helps you live these out. That's the law. It was always meant to be by faith, not by works. Now, of course, that brings up another misconception that a lot of people have, which I'm going to just take out in just a moment. We'll come back to this point. But a lot of people think this. What? People in the Old Testament could have a relationship with God? I mean, we just, it's bizarre, actually, how little understanding we have about the Old Testament. We have these caricatures, these cartoons. We think the Old Testament rules, New Testament relationship. False. People think, I've heard people teach this. I've heard people say this. We have no idea what we're talking about. They say, in the Old Testament, people couldn't have a relationship with God. Only the priests could have a relationship with God. Wrong. Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked with God. That is thousands of years before the New Testament. Enoch walked with God. Noah had a relationship with God. Abraham was called a friend of God. Moses talked to God face to face. David loved to be in the presence of God. Daniel, the prophets... All the people in the Old Testament, God did not give them a bunch of do's and don'ts and do it apart from my help. He's a good God. He always wanted a relationship with them. And the Old Testament saints were all saved by faith. They were, they, none of them were saved by works. We're all saying that the law was about works. No, none of the Old Testament saints were saved by works. I'm going to get there in just a moment. They were saved by faith. And so when you and I read the law, we shouldn't read it as, a, as death and condemnation either. We should read it in relationship with Jesus just like they, we were always supposed to do right from the very beginning. Let me show you one more uh, passage here. And uh, this passage is just, for some of you, it's just going to blow you away. It's just, I've been looking forward to preaching this verse now, this entire message, okay? It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, okay? This is going to upend a whole bunch of things you always thought about the law in the Old Testament, okay? And I'm going to say, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, okay? And I know everybody argues about it, and some of you might have an argument with me, but you're not up here preaching, so I'm just going to say Paul, okay? <laughs> I could be wrong. I'm not saying I'm 100% sure, but I just think it was Paul. So anyway, Hebrews 4.2, Paul says this, For we also, I want you to notice also, okay? For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. What? You read Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, and you realize, who's he talking about just as they did? He's talking about the Israelites in the Old Testament when they got the law at Mount Sinai. Let me read that again now. Israelites get the law at Mount Sinai. Paul says this about them. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. What? The Israelites at Mount Sinai when they got the law got the good news? Yep. That just flips everything you thought about the Old Testament on its head because everything you've been taught is wrong. We think Old Testament bad news, New Testament good news. No, they got the good news in the law in the Old Testament. See, we think the good news is this. This is what preachers are saying, saying today, lots of them. They're saying that the good news is that we don't have to obey the law anymore. The good news is you don't have the law anymore because it's just grace. That's not the good news. Because the good news was already there in the law. The good news is God wrote down on paper, well, stone, whatever. But he wrote down... I'll just say paper again. But God wrote down on paper what good looks like and then said, let's have a relationship and I'll help you live it out. That's the good news. And if you read when the apostles preached the good news in Acts, you'll always find that the good news is about repentance and producing deeds in keeping with repentance. It's not about not obeying the law. It's about having a relationship with God and then being able to live a good life by His help. 
And so the Israelites already got that good news. Relationship with God, and here's what a righteous life looks like. They got it in the law. Now look what happened. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with what? Faith. It was never about works. It was never about a bunch of do's and don'ts. It was always about a relationship with God. It was always about loving Him. It was always about loving other people. It was always about faith. That's the tone of the law. So if you read the law and you find it condemning, you're reading it wrong. When you read the law, you don't read it as, I'm going to work it up. I'm going to do all 613 of these commands. Well, first of all, a bunch of them are sacrifices, so don't do them, okay? But then you read it, and we'll get to that next week. But when you read it, it's not, I'm going to just do all these things, and I'm going to make God happy. No, no, God's happy when you have a relationship with him, and then in, with his help, obey this stuff. So you read a law in there, and you go, Lord, paying people on time. Lord, is there anywhere in my life where I'm not, I'm not being fair to people. And you ask him to convict you. And then he shows you ways and he says, you say, Lord, I want to be loving. I want to be a type of person. People want to do work for me because I take care of them. And you let him, he, you let him grow you and you're depending on him. You're not doing the law on your, own, on your own strength. You're taking his good law and you say, I love this law. This is how you love to live. This is how I want to live. Help me do this. Then you're reading the law right. You're reading it in faith. I want to finish with uh, Hebrews chapter 11 here. Because I want, to, I want to just finish by proving to you once and for all that the Old Testament saints were never saved by works. They never earned it. And they never thought they were supposed to. The Pharisees got blinded. The Pharisees got sidetracked. But the Old Testament saints all knew that it came out of a relationship with God. Following the law was part of walking with God. Hebrews chapter 11 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old, before the New Testament, for by it, by faith, the people of old received. Did they earn their commendation in the Old Testament? No. And if they didn't earn their commendation in the Old Testament, don't read the Old Testament law as if it's saying that you need to earn it. It isn't. It was received in the law. Commendation was still received. Salvation was still received from God by faith. They received their commendation. Verse 4, by, and now it just goes the rest of the, the chapter. I'm just reading you excerpts now that's just going to drive home this point that it, even in the Old Testament, they were all saved by faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was commended as having pleased God. Verse 7, by faith, Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 20, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph. Verse 24, by faith Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. If the Old Testament saints knew that the law was about faith, so should we. When you read the law, read it in faith. It's a relationship with God. Now, just to help you in your understanding just a little bit here, their faith was a little different than ours, but it was still faith. We're all saved by faith, old and new. 
Their faith, though, was in something they, didn't, they couldn't see yet. They couldn't see yet that God would have to become a man and die on the cross. They couldn't see it clearly. It was fuzzy for them, but they knew they needed God's help. They knew the law was God's righteousness, and they knew they needed to live it, and they knew they needed to obey it, and they knew they needed God's help, but they couldn't see clearly that it was going to take Jesus coming down to earth, becoming a man, all God, all man. His blood forgives us. They couldn't see that, but it was still faith. They depended on God. And now in the New Testament, we're still saved by faith, just like they were, not by trying to earn it. We're saved by, but now we can look into the past and we can see Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross. We can see the plan of salvation clearly, but the fact, of, the fact remains that in the Old and New Testaments, it's always about faith. It's never been about works. It's never been about earning things. It's about relying on Jesus. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to read your law. Your law is forever, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 17 to 20. Until heaven and earth pass away, your law will, will never change. And your laws are good. They're just as good today as they were a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, five thousand years ago. Lord, we need your laws. Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would take off the blinders where we think the law is about legalism. We think the law is about do's and don'ts. It's about love, Jesus. And I pray that you would give us a passion. Give us a passion for obeying your laws. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.